0: Here's a knocking indeed. If a man were a porter of Hellgate, he should have old turn in the key. Knock, knock, knock. Who's there? In the name of Basil Bob, He's a farmer. That hanged himself in the expectation of plenty. <laughs> Come in time. I've napkins enough about you. Here you'll sweat for it. <laughs> knock, knock. Who's there in the other devil's name? Faith. Here's an equivocator that could swear in both the scales against either scale. Who committed treason enough for God's sake, yet couldn't equivocate to heaven. Oh, come on in, equivocator. Knock, knock, knock. Who's there? Hey, here's an English tailor come hither for stealing out a French hose. Come in, tailor. Here you may roast your goose. (laughs) Knock. Knock never a quiet. What are you but this place too cold for hell? I'll devil porter it no further. It's thought to have let in some of all professions that go the primrose way with the everlasting bonfire. Anon, anon, I pray you remember the porter.
1: Think it is their husbands' faults if wives do fall; it, say that they slack their duties and pour our treasures into foreign laps, or else break out in peevish jealousies, throwing restraint upon us, or, or say they strike us, or scant our former having in despite. Why we have gulls, and though we have some grace, yet have we some revenge let husbands know their wives have sense like them they see and smell and have their palates both for sweet and sour as husbands have what is it that they do when they change us for others is it sport i think it is and doth affection breed it i think it doth is frailty that thus airs it is so too. And have we not affections, desires for sport, and frailty as men have? Then let them use us well. Else let them know the ills we do. Their ills instruct us so.
2: Hello, listeners. You're tuning into the Bardcast Weekly with Will Kemp's Players. Today, we have a very
0: special episode. This week, you get to meet the hosts. Your hosts, as always, are myself, Rob Johnson, our bestie who you just heard, Phil. Hello. And the most awesomest, Shay Fitzgerald.
3: Oh, I thank you, Rob. I appreciate it very much.
0: Today, we're talking about our first experiences with Shakespeare and a potpourri of other topics. There are no guests. We're just locked in our room, forced to fight each other to the death.
1: To the
3: death. (laughs) Most weeks, we bring you some excerpts of Shakespeare scenes, followed by a lively discussion with some of our players on dramatic themes, relevance of work, and how these performances come together. This week, as a special treat, you have heard one of our favorite monologues each.
2: So yeah, here we are, listeners, locked down in our houses because coronavirus is not your friend at all.
0: Well, I hope it's, I hope okay, coronavirus still, is not your friend right now.
2: If she is your friend, please yeah. break up with her immediately. She does not That's deserve your, needs to go. she does not deserve <laughs> your love and respect. She is a horrible mm-hmm. ex-girlfriend that needs to continually move her stuff out of your apartment because for some reason, years later, she comes back and she's like, hey, remember those boxes? And you're just like, no, get out. This
3: girl's got to pack up and go. She's got to go now. She's got to go. It's time to leave.
2: Because as you can tell... Yeah, she can't just be sitting around. As you can tell, we're starting to get a little stir-crazy. And there is no guest. (laughs)
3: We're very stir-crazy. I am, like, crafting things that I was not planning to get to for at least another couple of years. Stuff that, you know, I, like, put away in a box and I was like, I'll, you know, I'll revisit that, like, you know, maybe, like, 2024. And now I'm just like I have nothing to do. Well, 2020.
2: <laughs> no. What I meant to say was I'll revisit exactly. you in 2020. <laughs>
3: I'll revisit you in like five months. Like,
0: mm-hmm. so, so to take this uh, this conversation away from the apprehensions and anxieties of an uncertain future <laughs> and back to more comfortable times, we should talk about each of our first chances to play a Shakespearean part on stage. I'm going to take a run at it first, uh, just to to kind of get it out of the way. Also, I think I'm the oldest, so my my uh, my past is the furthest in the past. So There you yes, go. You got seniority. Rob, we'll, we'll start old. we'll start at the beginning. Uh, I'm aged, uh, wizened even. But also I... at the same time aged oh,
2: <laughs>
3: Both aged and ageless. less. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, Uh, so my first show was uh my first shakespeare show was at schenectady county community college actually um uh some of you might have been in uh schenectady high or uh i know there was some good shakespeare going on in other high schools but i didn't really get to theater till college um so my first one was uh was a performance of Richard III. Our Richard oh, was... Oh, right. Our Richard was remember, Dan Stott. Yeah. Yes. Oh,
2: yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. I totally I heard loved Stott, And I love Dan Stott, and I miss Dan Stott so much. He was a, he was a phenomenal actor.
0: We, we built the two-story Shakespeare set, and I think it was the first one that Sandy had built on the stage, if I remember correctly. Ooh. Breaking it in. Uh, that had, like, the double... They have these two pairs of... Uh, stairs on either side that curve a quarter of a circle out and then a quarter of a circle back in to take you uh, heading towards center as you're coming off of them. Um, it was a wonderful piece, and it's where I definitely learned I am not very good with a screw gun, uh, <laughs> <laughs> among other things. <laughs> uh, also, oh, not good oh, with yeah. a with just a hammer and nails. Don't don't give them to me; they're not going to end well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All
3: right, it's good to know your limits, Rob. That's I feel like that's
0: just helpful in general. I am tall, which means when we built the set, but didn't hang the lights until after the set was built. And the last set of lights was on the, th- almost sitting on the second story. So we had to get big ass ladders. They had me going up them. That was fun. Cause I'm kind of afraid of heights. <laughs> oh, cool, nice. Our, Always our li- enjoyable. Our lighting director was uh, Michael Noonan. I believe that was a fun experience. Um, I spent a lot of quality time there. And our fight director was David Bunce.
2: Yes, he's so, a very oh, Yes, I definitely I've worked heard with I've too. worked with him too when I did my show. Was, Yeah, he's really good.
0: It was a fantastic experience. Um, we had uh some killer people in roles. We had Sarah Launches as um as margaret we had chris finn and rich jarvis were opposing uh tufts in the army they got a giant ass uh uh, axe fight at the end that was really cool to watch and i was a smattering of side characters uh basically we started i think with 23 or 25 people in the cast so a lot of doubling of roles because there's like 45 parts Um, right yeah by the end we were I want to say 21 the first three shows we had 22 and then someone dropped and I got his part um
3: (laughs) so yeah it was definitely yeah I mean those are the roles that are just honestly the most kind of killer fun sometimes because it's you get to do so much character switching
0: funny enough uh the, the one that got dropped and handed to me was pure exposition in the final act like oh. that scene <laughs> where he's camping and he turns to an officer and he goes sweet blunt that's the only reason I knew it was me because he'd have to call me sweet blunt and that made me chuckle um,
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and then he'd ask for an update on the field and I had like ten lines to learn in half a day <laughs> oh no oh oh man i, I might have had to improvise this thing <laughs> oh,
2: learning ten lines of, yeah, no no i don't I don't <laughs> recall having to um not I don't at know, all. study a role, learn an entire role, and then two weeks before opening, the executive decision was made to replace another actor, and they were like. <laughs> Phil's good at learning things. Just he'll figure it out. Just bump him up. Just bump him up. So I had to forget all of the lines that I had learned for the past month. Yep. And relearn not only an entire new character, but literally two monologues. (laughs) Yeah. And a lot of talking in between. You jumped up.
3: You jumped. You jumped. We went from Montano to the Duke, right? Or were you doing Montano? No, Duke no. That's at the, the thing is,
2: I was originally cast for. Okay, so for listeners, this is not my first time doing Shakespeare, but I'll give you a little breakdown. Just um, when I first uh, did Will Kemp's, when I first acted for them, I we they were doing Othello, and I was cast as I was cast as messenger mm <laughs> Or no, Messenger 2, because Shay, you were Messenger 1. Yeah, I was
3: Messenger 3. So
2: I was... Or you were <laughs> Messenger 3?
3: Yeah, I was 3. I think... I think oh,
2: I was one. 2. I was... Right. I was Messenger 2. You were Messenger 3. Okay, yeah. so I was Messenger 2, and then I also played Montano. And if people don't know the story of Othello, Montano is a character that's not really introduced until Act 2. He's the old governor of Cyprus that Othello travels to because there's... Talks of war happening, and so essentially, the Duke of the town Othello is in is like, "Hey, there's kind of like this governor. He's kind of cool, but like, we need you to replace him because we're afraid of war." So
3: go,
1: (laughs) go, go handle that.
2: So go handle that. So I. So it best. works. It
3: works well for so basically, Montano is a, ro- a role that works well for doubling if you want your actor to be in something in Act One, and then yeah, so it does. Still
2: knows. <laughs> so I was originally first supposed to be seen in Scene Three of Act One, which is the Duke's scene in the court where he tells like Othello, "Hey, you're my best friend. Like you're a really cool army dude. Go do this thing in Cyprus," and. The messenger comes in and he, my, the the, first messenger comes in, delivers like two or three lines, leaves, another messenger comes in, me, and has, I don't know, maybe five lines where I like talk to the Senate and I'm like, hey, there's a war. You really need to send Othello to this place because like shit is going down. Then I leave and then Shay came in as like the third messenger was like, Oh, you thought it was just a war. Well, there's also like infighting between people, and like there's there's race problems, and, and like, blah, like blah blah blah. Like I don't know,
3: everything is worse than you so thought it
2: probably was. I learned my five lines. I learned my five lines. I learned my Montano lines because Montano actually, spoiler alert, also does not talk a lot because he, um, spoiler alert, gets stabbed in the back in a <laughs> bar fight in the second scene he ever appears in and does not reappear until the last scene of Act 5.
3: Bill, you and I shared so much stage time that summer. It was
2: such a good... (laughs) I had such a great time being backstage for like an hour and a half with nothing to do, but, you know, hashtag not bitter. Um, Anyway, I learned the messenger lines, I learned my Montana lines, and then we found out that the person playing the Duke was no longer going to be a part of the production. So, um, our good friend, Katie Mahoney, who was also, you know, friend friends with a lot podcast,
1: of us. Friends Katie
2: fr- Mahoney. Kate, friend, <laughs> yes. Um, she was also like interested and started, you know, joining Will Kemp's and stuff like that. So they were like, oh, you can play the Duke, but come to find out because she was not prepared to do the Duke role as a full time, only as an understudy, she had weekends where she could not do the Duke. So then they're like, well, Sandra Boynton, our lovely director, was took me aside one day and was like, can we have a conversation? And of course, whenever you tell an actor, can we have a conversation, the first thought in their head is, I'm fired. This is the end of my career. I just started redoing theater this, for the first time since college. So I had not done theater for like seven <laughs> years. And I'm like, well, in those seven I years, know. I must have got really bad. No, she's like, no, no, that's not it at all. She's like, I want you to play the Duke. And I was like, well, (laughs) funny, because I can't play the Duke. I'm playing the messenger. Can't be both the messenger and the Duke. And she's like, oh, funny about that. We're going to give that messenger role to someone else. Please play the Duke. And (laughs) I was just like, okay, because as an actor, what do you say? No, of course you say yes. And then, you know, in the back of your head, you like start crying because you're like, I don't know if I can do this, because, <laughs> um, for those of you who don't know, as I said before, the Duke, instead of having just five lines as a messenger, I suddenly had two monologues and probably a page and a half worth of text just added to my script. Just, just learn it's this.
3: Like- it's like dense verse too. It's like the Duke mm-hmm. is being incredibly politic, and it's like a lot of unnecessary talking. And also it's very important scary for me for because the I don't. Yep. Right. Important and it, context, it, it's, it's plot, It literally
2: is like it's I plot. was handed the plot of this show. Yep. <laughs> like Phil,
3: can but you can
2: you
1: can you can you carry the plot? Like,
2: um, for the first time in my career, actually playing um in Shakespeare a character that sort of drives the plot. Um it was both exciting and scary. Yeah. Um, I did the best I could and I alternated with Katie on weekends that I couldn't do it because I also was not planning on playing such a like so it was just yeah. like we had to take turns every yeah, weekend. Lot of it was great like... because both of us played the dupe so differently. Um
3: and you but guys also you, have you two have a great rapport like
2: between yeah. the two of you as performers. Well, no, I mean so. that's just because we've I mean it's because we go way back to SCC way like Rob back is, except not as old as Rob.
0: Um, <laughs> you married, <laughs> Hashtag #burn uh, Oh no. Um, <laughs> respect your elders. They were your prompter. <laughs> I saved I your ass okay. on stage.
2: <laughs> I make it sound Rob like Rob is like super changed. old compared to me in shape. <laughs> but he's really not that much older than me and Shay. we just happen to just meet. He's meet older each other than college. us and he's
3: also better than us. Like,
2: I don't
0: know about, the, about well. that. That's saying a lot. <laughs> I mean no. in editing skills, yes. <laughs> Listen, I'm
2: but, not
3: afraid to to admit when people are better than me. <laughs>
2: But but anyway, that was so that was that's our that was my segue from my Montano experience, yes. which was amazing. Um, but my first Shakespeare. Wait, hold on. So I want to go
3: back you... to Rob really quick in case he had anything that he wanted. No, to... sure.
0: I did. I did have a, a couple of more things, but I I cannot. They they have been pushed from my brain.
3: <laughs>
1: Wait. Okay. Actually,
0: I wanted so to
3: well. ask. I wanted to specifically ask you a question. Sure. What what is it about richard the third that you enjoy do you remember anything that was like specific to that story in that production that was something that really stood out to you was like what made it a significant was it a significant shakespeare play for you or was it like it, one that it was yeah.
0: it was so big so grand from building the sets to just like all, the all-out battle scenes i died three times in that play
3: oh my god three separate I, deaths that's like the <laughs> best part of doing a bunch of different characters is when you get to die a lot oh my god
0: my favorite death like some of them were like we were taken escorted off screen to d- die by the noose or whatever but the exactly the b- like
3: the best yeah, one over
0: there was like after the my kingdom for the hor- for a horse uh line like uh-huh. somebody rushes the stage and that got to be me so it's just me and Richard, and Richard has two swords, and he just eviscerates me, turns me around, and kicks me upstage. Oh. It... <coughs> oh,
2: right, right, because in that production, um, Dan learned how to um, dual wield for Richard, right?
0: Yeah, it was yeah, I remember
2: Sandy talking about that. It's really interesting, yeah.
0: I got I got he he just straight up murks me within a second of coming on stage and tosses me aside. Yeah, and... literally. It's
3: like you're done. yeah, no, seriously getting I, I enjoyed getting to take stage combat classes meant that I really enjoyed learning to appreciate being the victim <laughs> and just getting mm-hmm. to like really commit to like being <laughs> fatally wounded. It's extremely fun. <laughs> Listeners, like, don't try this at home you probably don't want to, like, at-home attempt to be, like, the victim of a slaughter. But, like, mm-hmm. in a stage concept, it's
0: wicked fun. It's wicked fun. Also, playing ghosts is fun, especially when there's, like, oh, a big group yeah. of you. Yes. <laughs> yes. It was it was such a big production. That's, that's really what I loved about it, was there was just so much going on, and even though there were so few of us, it really, like, worked. It didn't feel like some like a small... I had only done one other play before. I had only done Roger and Hammerstein's Cinderella in the park in Freedom Park the year before. <laughs> or no, not the year before. Yeah. but okay, the- so it's
3: like literally outdoor summer theater and you're doing like a classic musical. So yeah. Very yeah. different kind yeah. of like grandiosity I guess you would put it.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it was all our hard work that got there and that's the impression that I pulled from that.
3: That's a really good. That's a really good
0: point. I like that a lot. That's
3: great. So I love Richard. So Phil. Yes,
0: Phil. You were going to tell us about your first time. <laughs> okay, so. So now. Ooh, Phil's first time. I'll talk
2: about. You, you don't want to hear that story.
0: <laughs> oh god. Uh, that, that'll yeah. be for the Bardcast uh, After Dark. <laughs> that will
2: never After be on Dark. any <laughs> podcast ever. <laughs> That is, that will never happen because, no. Okay, because... mine
3: wasn't mine, Mine's not also like a horrible story, so you're not alone.
2: Yep, yeah, there, fair. fair, Mine is we'll, cringy we'll too. We'll share
3: them off mic.
2: <laughs> LGBTQ plus questioning, those first experiences, especially like for listeners, um, they are awkward, and especially it does get better. Like I will although... tell you. I want to say it gets better. I've also been single for, like, nine years now, so I really
3: can't say <laughs> it's like too, It's, like, complicated. <laughs> I think it's funny that all three of us here are members of the LGBTQ plus community and can all relate to the, especially because we're all of the vague same generation. Like, I think mm. probably, Rob, you would be considered, like, a late- gen z may, or gen x or maybe and like
0: um, i know, totally no, millennial. millennial
3: we're all millennial queers <laughs> which are a very specific breed of lgbtq plus folks and most of our formative experiences i think are derived from a lot of awkwardness because we came of age as the the United States was like just creeping its way out of its turtle shell as it mm-hmm. came to like rights and inclusivity for that kind of stuff so it was like everything was very tentative
0: and the internet and that
3: definitely and the internet yeah. that too so there was a lot there was a lot happening at once that kind of you know made more things known but you know when that kind of knowledge like erupts over society very quickly it's like it takes some time to like settle in so i feel Mm -hmm. like our generation is very much like the awkward teenager of the lgbtq plus community (laughs) which like inherently then makes our own experiences as awkward teenagers like squared so it's just yeah anyone from our generation is i feel like inevitably who's in that community is inevitably just going to have a really have had a really frustrating time of things in high school like and perhaps perhaps even later than that
2: i dated some women dating is a weird word to say in reference to that situation
3: (laughs) oh i get it i had boyfriends
2: um but you know i mean being a good actor (laughs) and an lgbt member it's nice to like (laughs) I acted, myself, because, I acted myself. right because, into the closet
3: for many years.
2: Mhm. Because honestly, I honestly, I guess I'm lucky that I get typecast only as straight characters. Oh
1: yeah, no, Which I for think sure. is
2: just which I think is just hysterical because again, Sandra Boyton, our lovely director doesn't I'm not poking fun at her. She she knows I love her. Um, does not see me in those types of characters. Which I think is... Which makes me just, like, hysterically laugh. Because I'm like, but I am those characters. Exactly. Dude. So I... So, so I am there, but I get what you're saying. Yeah, for sure. I
3: mean,
1: I, I,
2: pl- I definitely... Okay, so listeners, I play a better father. It, I I play a better father of small children than I do a man in a homosexual relationship, <laughs> which is the exact opposite of my life in every <laughs> In every capacity. Minute. Oh, man. I would play... The, I, I would be a more convincing baker in Into the Woods <laughs> than I would be... A character in a Tony Kushner play Which breaks my heart because I want to do Angels so oh. bad. But
3: It'll happen for you one day, dude. We've talked about it, but like, no, I oh, have, S- very, Sandy wants to I have very similar experiences, like in my own accord, like no one ever knew what to make me, especially because back when I was going to conservatory, I was definitely still dressing a lot more feminine because I was still like reckoning with a lot of my aspects of identity in that regard. And like, I was like, I'm just totally a femme lesbian, which is like totally valid and great for many people. Not me. I just had to like figure my way out back to where I was most comfortable. And especially like being in the kind of fishbowl-esque environment that a drama, like a drama conservatory is, where it's like, I am not a person who tends to think a lot about my image, but I just was spending so much energy like like, thinking about my image, just due to the fact that like as an actor who is being taught how to like have a, you know, a a typical afterlife, you have to know how to sell yourself, (laughs) like, which sounds bizarre, but it's literally that it's, it's so it's, you're you're making the most sensible use of your time because, like, if there's, like, a bajillion fish in the sea and you're going out for roles that you're wrong for, or, like, or casting directors are going to have to strain to see you in more, and there's, like, a huge high volume of of performers to be seen, that's going to, like, really not it's it's not going to be successful for your career overall so for me like i was like trying to mesh my identities for a while in conservatory and like i never quite i never quite got it and so but then by the time like i you know i also took a hiatus for from theater for five years for like some personal health reasons and so then when i came back to the stage in the capital region in the production of the women that i was in i it gave me this opportunity to sort of jump into the kind of career that I always had really almost wished that I could have. And it worked out, like really, I feel very blessed. It worked out really well because I tend to really thrive on being a chameleon in the regard Mm. of like I love playing characters that are absolutely nothing (laughs) like what I physically exist as in like the everyday world because that's just really intriguing to me and always has been. But it's like I also don't want to be like a quote unquote character actor or whatever it is that they call it. So it's like I've always tried to figure out how to toe that line of like being able to really push boundaries the way that I like Mm. um, as like a, you know, in terms of really enjoying that kind of fluidity, but also like making sensible career choices because and so anyway, so so all of this is summed up by so i got cast in in this role in the women by a very old friend who like knows my acting ability. so she was she cast me based on her knowledge of my actual skill rather than like my looks because she also knew that i'm like a pretty adaptably like adaptable physical person like i can put on a wig and like i have what i call wig face which hmm. means that like when i put on a wig it like <laughs> genuinely oh, most of wait. the time looks like it's my looks like it's my real hair um so that kind of like you know and like i i can wear a lot of different clothing styles pretty easily and like all of those are things that i'm like really grateful for because they've made that ability to perform that much easier for me um and so i was playing this really feminine role um i had three different roles in the women but like one of them was like a larger part than the others and all of them were like very these very feminine characters because it was like the 1930s and it's a show about women um you know only one of them wore pants um and so i was wearing wigs the entire time and like i was wearing these big long glamorous dresses so then after that show i wound up getting cast in a couple of other productions like out of that show because some directors like saw me in that show and then um offered me parts out of that and the, so the first two parts after that that i played were again like really stereotypically feminine characters characters that i never in a million years would have gotten seen for if i was still living and working in new york city and like going out for parts that were correct to my quote-unquote type so like it was just this enormous bridge into like the opposite direction of like what I had been working with in conservatory and it was just like it blew my mind with how how regional those kinds of limitations can be because in this area in upstate we have that immense amount of freedom to be able to maneuver around like maneuver around our careers with a lot more like a lot what's to me it's, it's a lot more interesting um because I was able to, you know, for example, like last summer with Kemps, in the same summer I was playing Puck and Ophelia, and I was playing Ophelia in like a traditional Elizabethan style hamlet, like wherein I'm wearing a dress and I'm wearing like a wig with like really long, like pre-Raphaelite hair, you know, and like then I'm playing Puck as this like weird, like a gender like hobgoblin of the woods. So it's it just being able to like, exist in those those many facets of myself at the same time because, like, although I may not dress that way in real life, doesn't mean I don't enjoy dressing that way as a part of a performance, as a part of, like, building a role. Um, And so, like, I hate wearing heels as me, Shay, and I don't like wearing skirts as me, Shay. But, like, if I'm playing a character for whom those things are important, like, that is super fascinating to me to explore that. So like, I don't know, I just think it's really awesome in in a lot of regards that um, what I struggled with a lot in terms of like quote unquote type um, and like how to reckon my internal self with my external self in conservatory was solved by like seeking a career in a slightly different place and deciding of my own accord that like, if I wanted to do what would make me the happiest, I just needed to like make my own art. I needed to find places where I was going to work with people who collaboratively would support me in the artistic goals that like I prioritized, um, and like the place to do that was like just not New York City because that's not the place. to to try and get that stuff done like 90% of the time. So like, I mean, honestly, if there's anything that I ever offer to like young performers, it's just the knowledge that like New York city is its own monster and LA is its own monster. And everywhere else in the country is going to be different from those two places. And you can have an absolutely satisfying artistic career in places that aren't New York or LA. And sometimes it's actually better for you because I would have been miserable trying to fi- trying to be an, a New York or L.A. actor. And I am super happy to have gotten to a place where I'm really consistently artistically fulfilled and I'm never really wanting or playing parts that I feel are boring to me or anything like that.
2: Yeah. So needless to say, listeners, um, like us, Will Kemp's as a company is very... Inclusive.
3: Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. And I'll just, and we'll, we'll put a button on that, and I'll go back now to talking about my first experience so that, yeah like,
3: Yes, for sure.
2: My first play that I ever did, well, I'll go back to high school. Um, in high school, everyone, at least where I went to high school, had to read Romeo and Juliet. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I say it like that because... Uh,
3: Dude, at least it's better I only than starting students out with Julius Caesar.
2: <laughs> but I only say that as a joke because, listeners, in reality, Romeo and Juliet is a really good show. It just has to be done. It just has to be done the right way.
3: Oh, yeah, for sure. I love Caesar, too, but it's like not the play to like introduce freshmen to Shakespeare with yeah I don't know I have my own personal feelings about no, how Shakespeare should boring be taught if
2: they're not done correctly they're boring if not done exactly. correctly exactly.
3: one more time I'll say like, they're
2: boring if not done correctly three times I've said and
3: it. like and like, at least teenagers can if, if taught right at least teenagers can get into the vibe of like okay teenage love is like really intense and also like really dramatic and that kind of thing but it's like they why are they gonna care about like Roman politics
1: that's
3: like yes obviously there are cool moral things in Caesar but like they're just not right for high schoolers
0: (laughs) no not at all and if any of them are taught correctly to high schoolers that teacher gets fired so too many dick jokes (laughs)
2: Um, exactly Mm -hmm.
0: Um, but anyway
2: in high school I like everyone else had to read Romeo and Juliet and i read um benvolio ooh oh.
0: um
2: again this is in my english class not in my acting class because at that point i, I was only like in tenth i was only in 10th grade and i was such a shy person True. that i was just so in, like introverted that like in 11th grade my parents literally went to the guidance counselor and was like You need to make him have an extracurricular activity because he's becoming so introverted that he's like, he has like five friends. Like this is not okay, and in reality, it's not okay. I'm not saying that introverts aren't cool people because they really are, but a ten year old introvert is not a good sign. Yeah. Um, So then I exactly, it's it's good to be an
3: introvert. If you're an introvert as a teenager, it's still good and okay to be involved in stuff. Like, that's fine.
2: I did my first theater stuff in 11th grade. I, I did set design for the Odd Couple female version, which is actually Ooh. a really good yeah. version of the Odd Couple if people have not seen it. Um, I then did two shows acting-wise um, my senior year of high school. One of them was, (laughs) surprise, surprise, um, a set of two shows that were done at a dinner theater in our cafeteria, and they were both spoofs of Shakespeare. Oh. So it was... So you did the
3: spoof before you did the real thing.
2: Yep, and doing that show... I think was sort of like me knowing that I should be doing something with acting. I still really wanted to pursue film for some reason, and it's still in the back of my mind, but I just, I feel like I fit better now as a stage actor, but that's just through experience. Dude, I understand that too. But then my other show, my senior show that I did um, was we, my director had this brilliant idea to take a bunch of scenes from classic movies and just have us reenact them on stage, which is so illegal. But we won't go there, and I will not mention his name because he was a phenomenal teacher, and I will not throw shade on him because he literally just retired last year. So, Fair not going to do that. Um, and in that, I played a couple of roles. I I was the chief of police in the Casablanca scene, which is actually a good role. Um, I I played Alan in Dead Poets Society, which is a really Really cool. of course we did not do the scene where he shoots himself in the head because that's that might be a bit him. much um, yeah that
3: would be bad for a school
2: sure and then I then I played Woody Allen in a small section Ooh. of the play which was of the, a small section of his play called Play It Again Sam which is also a movie which people can look up. It's a very funny Woody Allen movie. One of his older stuff, really, really good before we found out about all the weird stuff that happened with him and his daughter. Yeah. Whatever she was. Um. Yeah. And in high school, we only performed our shows twice. Friday nights. Huh. Friday night and a Saturday. We only did two performances. Um. Sometimes if we were lucky, we would do it for like two weekends in a row, but even then we'd still only do four performances total, Mm -hmm. just because of of rights issues and our school didn't have a lot of funding for stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I went to school Friday, really nervous because I had never played essentially my Woody Allen character was a lead because the scene was a Woody Allen movie like you know what I mean <laughs> I'd never done that the scene was probably 10 minutes and I was nervous yeah. but I was also in 12th grade um so I did the show everybody laughed and I, it made me feel really good because I didn't know that I could make people laugh and I will never <laughs> forget this and I do not know who this lady is and I doubt she's listening but you never know I I'm a as, finder with SEO as I was walking into school on the Saturday to do the Saturday night performance our final performance I had um, my parents dropping me off because again I'm still rolling a senior like I didn't have a car yet um, and I had uh, two elderly ladies um, coming to see the show for the second time and they saw me and stopped me and my mother and they asked my mother if how how they how she knew me and she was like she was like oh that's my son and I will never forget this the two old ladies um turned to my mother and said well you know I want to let you know we're coming back for the second night because of your son
0: Oh, oh! It's nice. the
2: funniest and the best part of the night.
1: Oh my goodness! And that was that's my so first cute. time ever
2: thinking that maybe this doing theater means something. You know, it's
3: like a thing to
1: do. Um, yeah.
2: So, all you young listeners, I hope that happens to you because it's a really great experience. But anyway, I'll fast forward. <clears throat> so, first Shakespeare. Again, I had read Benfolio in tenth grade, and I did. One show with Sandra Voighton at SCCC called Fools, which is a Neil Simon show. Great show. Um, I was one of like seven people out of the 25 people that auditioned, which like never happens, by the way, to listeners your first year of college. If you audition for theater school, it is extremely rare for you to get into the show the first year. Just FYI, because it usually is. Mm -hmm. I Um, ran soundboard. Because everyone, including directors, had their favorites. But second show of the fall because we always did a, a, a modern show in the spring. Rob can attest to this, and then a Shakespeare show in the fall, or vice versa, depending on how she was doing, how we were running things that season. We did surprise Romeo and Juliet, so of course I go in auditioning not knowing what to audition for and I auditioned with my monologue that got those two old ladies <laughs> to say he's really oh, funny. Nice. <laughs> I auditioned with my Woody I Al- I auditioned with my Woody Allen monologue like I had done before. And um <clears throat> I also did to this day, my favorite monologue, which is, um, Benedict's monologue in Much Ado, because Much Ado is probably my favorite Shakespeare, mm. and Benedict's mo- monologue, I do much wonder seeing how much another man is a fool when he dedicates his behaviors to love will after it. he hath laughed, so shall it follow his to become the argument of his own scorn by falling in love. Um... My my favorite monologue. I don't know why it just speaks to me. So I did that, and Sandy was really impressed with me. So she had me come back for callbacks and read. Surprise spoilers, Benfolio. <clears throat> I did not get Benfolio. <laughs> <laughs> A wonderful, wonderful gentleman who.
3: Mike
1: Lake.
2: Shay will. You ready for this, Shay? A wonderful gentleman by the name of Michael Lake got Benfolio. So if you want to know what it was like on stage having a callback with the two total opposite people (laughs) playing a role, it would be me and Mike Lake. A small, skinny, barely weighs anything white man and a tall 18 foot black man. Two totally different versions of Benvolio <clears throat> I did not get Benfolio, as I said and I ended up instead playing what Sandy brilliantly termed as character parts aka she really wanted me in the show because she knew that I was a good actor she didn't want to disappoint me so she was just like oh we'll just have him play these random things <laughs> No lines the entire show. No lines. Yes. Yes. No lines. No lines the entire show. I was, I was in the, I I was part of the watch who breaks up the opening fight between the two, the two groups of slaves, the two feuding slaves, which is where I learned also by the same fight choreographer that Rob here learned. Um, and again, yes, being on the receiving side of fight training is the funnest thing you will ever do in your life. (laughs) Being punched in the face, (laughs) but not being punched in the face is the coolest skill you could ever learn.
1: (laughs) Absolutely.
2: Hands down. Um, I also was then, because I was, like, the watch is only in, like, two scenes of the show. She was like, well, I can't just have... Like, we had so many people because, again, we had a cast of, like, 25 people. Romeo and Juliet, as opposed to Richard III, does not
0: (laughs) have 40 characters. (laughs) So it's a mite smaller.
2: The 40 characters in in Romeo and Juliet are literally just the town coming outside to listen to the prince. (laughs) And then going back inside their house. That's it. Um so I was a townsperson, I was also somehow because there was a lot of people drafted onto the Marcuccio side of the fray which was played by another oh, guest, Shane oh Sistema. yeah, I forgot that
3: he was he was, uh, he was Mark's who my a Mike wonderful the...
2: Marcuccio yeah. wonderful a good duo yep. um, There. they, they Sandy felt there was uneven members on Tybalt's team, so I was just told one day when I came into rehearsal, you're just going to be on Tybalt's team. And I was like, I, I don't want to. I don't like this character. She was like, Go fight for Tybalt. I don't care. <laughs> You've become Back scripted. the cat. So I literally, so myself, so myself and two younger women who we in this particular show cast as pages because we didn't have any right. young boys who were young enough <coughs> and short enough to be young, young people. So it was me and two women which made this... Which made this... Looking back on it now, a really, really weird relationship yeah, that's, triangle. That's, that's I a, don't even an want to try poppy. to explain what sexuality is in that situation. <laughs> pages so... Like a... So... But we... We, we don't need to go we don't need to we don't need to go there but I will I will end my that was so that was my first Shakespeare show but I will end by saying one of my first <laughs> catastrophic things to ever happen to me on a stage was also in that show and I will not name people's names but we were in the scene where the prince decides he's gonna banish Romeo which if you have read it listeners, you know it's a pivot
1: quite pivotal, pivotal scene
2: it's, it's, it's kind of important quite important to the plot quite important um we were all there Tybalt had been slain Marcuscio is you know, already dead on the stage and Tybalt is like clutching to life, but you know he's probably gonna die cause uh-huh. there was no
0: Doctors He'll back. be stone That's dead in a minute.
2: Today, um, we're on stage, and um, the a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful actress who I love her to death to this day. She's a phenomenal actress. She was understudying the role of Lady Capulet. Again, I'm not going to name names, and she forgot one of her lines, which is okay because it happens. Except, in her forgetting one of her lines, the man, again, wonderful actor, he, rest in peace, he he did pass a couple years ago, he was a great guy, but, um, he also forgot his lines because her line messed him up. Oh no. And he lost his place during the middle of the prince's speech about banishing Romeo. Mm -hmm. And I will never forget when people tell you that you don't ever want to be on a stage with dead air... the
3: worst feeling.
2: They're telling the truth. Mm -hmm. Because... Because when someone... When an old... let, Let me tell you, listeners. When an old teacher in college, in high school, or whatever, tells you that 30 seconds of dead air on stage feels like five minutes... It feels like five minutes. They are not <laughs> joking.
0: Like, like five COVID minutes? Your
2: life... Yep. No. Yep. Your life flashes before your eyes.
0: Ooh.
2: Especially if you're an actor that has oh no God. lines.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: no way to save the scene. Here I am with a girl, you know... Actress next to me playing one of the page, playing Tybalt's page, young, short, beautiful, wonderful girl. And the two of us are looking at each other out of the side of our eyes, and we're whispering to each other really quietly. been skipped he's like i got it i'm i'm royalty i have right, to yeah. be the one that talks in mm-hmm. the scene i can't he decides to skip to the middle of his monologue but because when you as an actor rehearse things you don't rehearse from the middle of the monologue back to the beginning he said one sentence and realized he was in the middle and immediately his <coughs> immediately his brain went uh-oh And me and the girl are literally holding up the, Tybalt's dying body while the girl playing Lady Capulet is weeping over him. And two other guards are like getting ready to take off the body. We're, a clump of probably 10 people are crying <laughs> over a body for a good name. <laughs> With no lines. No lines. <laughs> And the prince, and we all turn because the prince, after he says his line and then blanks, literally... I'm, listeners, you can't see this. I'm going to demonstrate this for my <laughs> But I wish you guys could see this. Literally standing in the middle of the stage with the, with the freaking brightest light on him. Literally standing up straight Bends over, grabs both his knees with you know one hand on each knee and proceeds to go. <laughs> proceeds to go <laughs> oh, 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 oh no Oh no 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 Oh no no, oh, oh, no. no, no, no. Oh my god Oh, oh no no no, oh no, Oh, no, no. And then he started oh rubbing God. his forehead with his hand. And, and, and me and the girl literally grabbed each other's oh. hand. And we had like fingernail intents in each other's hand because we were pinching each other's skin because the two of us were looking at each other, literally whispering back at each other, I swear to God, if you make me laugh, I'm gonna kill you, I swear to God. Do
0: not make me laugh.
2: And the two of us are like, oh my God, we're gonna laugh, I can't, I can't, to the point where he kept doing that for a solid minute and a half. The rest of the people on the stage are weeping over the body and me and this girl are like, (laughs) (laughs) not, we're not, we weren't crying. Lucky you were supposed to be crying. We full-on laughing over a over a dead body. Yeah,
3: right? It's always lucky when you start laughing and you play
2: it off as so, crying. Uh, and because, again, he was the prince, and because Shakespeare writes the way he does, yep. none of us could leave the stage either until the prince banished Romeo and told us to leave.
0: <laughs> oh, no.
2: So oh, there. we had to wait until he remembered his line. Oh, or at least geez. or at least some semblance of a line that sounded like Alright, take the body away. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure, if I'm remembering correctly, he may have actually just skipped to his last line in that monologue and just added, take the body away, Romeo is banished. <laughs> and Literally turned around and went center stage up and
3: left. Like I'm leaving now. Oh god. Oh, oh boy. Ooh. Yeah.
2: It was. So that's my actor nightmare. It's harrowing. Perpetually.
3: Uh, understandable.
2: Thankfully, in my actor nightmares, I'm never the one that loses, forgets the line. It's always the actors around me that forget my <laughs> line. But that makes it even more terrible.
0: Yeah, you don't control that.
3: As an as an actor and a wardrobe person, I my actor nightmares are like combos, wherein I'm like struggling to remember my lines and also I didn't finish like my own
1: costume, mm.
3: like so.
2: But so anyway, listeners, the, um, I'll put a button on my stuff because I think I've talked enough. <laughs> <you>, but, <laughs> um, but we'll pat. <laughs> we'll pass it to Shay because like after I don't but honestly I don't know if Shay can top that but like if you have if you have have a harrowing story with your first Shakespeare not only was it my first Shakespeare experience but it was also my first actor's (laughs) nightmare (laughs) all at the same time and it wasn't my fault which was even scarier that's rough so so Shay yes Rob asked me well you know, so now I'm going to ask you, Shay, what was your first Shakespeare experience, play, production, design?
3: Where to start? Uh, so, okay, my first. So, t- yes, take take taking you all back with me to fourth grade. I was in, uh, the... <laughs> I was in the. I was gifted... a tree. <laughs> yeah, no I'm better than that. Um I was in the gifted program <clears throat> called Young Scholars.
2: Oh, where we would get like what you were. Because where we of would
3: yeah, I know. I was a young scholar. Um, <laughs> I'm
2: smart.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was me. Um, so we would get like bus to a different district, uh, or not a different district. We would get bus to a different, like a school, once a week, and then we would like all collectively, like the small number of us who were in the program, would like have like a small like enrichment day all together. So it was people from all across this connecting district, still like students from all across the district who are like the same age range. So this was it was I was in it when I was in fourth and fifth grade. Um, and so that was the, also the age range of our class. So it was kind of actually a really good time if to, like to start to get introduced to, it was, a, it was a good time and it was also a perfect space to get introduced to dramatic literature and in particular Shakespeare um because it was like a more it was there was allowance for it to be a lot more of a creative classroom um and i loved my teacher her name was mrs mccarthy um and she actually herself had immigrated from ireland so she had a fabulous You're accent cool. and you know immediately upon meeting her i was like my name's jayford Gerald. <laughs> so it was very important to me that that she knew that I was Irish um and uh we are honestly actually I'm still friends with her daughter to this day and her of course as well but so it's so she was my first introduction um we didn't read all of The Tempest um but we did read some of it and then the cool thing that we did with it was um we didn't perform it for anyone except ourselves, but we went out into the yard at the school that we were in and acted out um, a couple of the different scenes that had a lot of characters in them. So it definitely connected the whole performance element to text for me like really early on, which was dope. Um, and so that wasn't my first fully fledged one. And so then the, the next one, it's like I, I had stepping stones. Then the next one was in, in middle school. We did a very, very, very watered down production of Midsummer Night's Dream and like different groups of kids focused on different aspects of the story. <laughs> so I was in the fairy um, realm um, and Yeah, <laughs> I I played um, I played uh, Mustard Seed. Um, and oh,
2: Mustard Seed. So yeah, <laughs>
3: Mustard Ooh. Seed. So I got to uh, and I was the fairy that got to sing the lullaby to Titania. Um, yes. So I sang it to the tune of Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, which works really nice. well, actually. You spotted snakes with dog- double tongues, thorny hedgehogs be not seen. Newts and blind worms do no wrong, come not near our fairy <laughs> queen. So it works great. So <laughs> so I like remember that monologue to this day because I hear it in my head to the tune of Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Um, but so that was... That was my first taste of midsummer. And at that point I was like, I was not actually like regularly doing like theater theater, but I was just kind of doing those like smattering of like gifted program enrichment stuff. Um, And I like knew that it was really something that I wanted to try. So I was lucky enough that I landed um, at the, at Schenectady High School where um there is a fantastic theater company called the Blue Roses Theater Company. Um and when it was there it was still helmed by its founders, uh, Bill Ziskin and Tim Dugan, two absolute superstars who I credit with like so much of my like professional ethics mm. today. Like they they're amazing teachers and um Ziskin and I in particular worked a lot together because Dugan was um, taking some sabbatical time like during the time that I was in high school as well. So I had I had more like actual face time with Ziskin while I was there. Um, and so uh, I started immediately upon entering high school in freshman year, I jumped in as quickly as humanly possible to to theatrical excursions. Um, We did a production of A Christmas Carol. That was like my first big show. It was adapted from the Dickens text directly. So it was a really, and like, it wasn't a musical. It was just like the straight Christmas Carol. So that was a lot of fun. Um, And then, so freshman and sophomore year, we did, we, we are the Blue Roses at that time would do three to four different shows a year. So it was one musical and then like a bunch of other stuff um which was really cool because it wasn't just the like one musical uh situation that a lot of a lot of high schools wind up with so um uh we did a lot of really interesting um good musicals and then also really interesting like awesome contemporary shows um but junior junior year was when we undertook Shakespeare for the first time when I was there they had done it previously before I had gone to high school but that was when it kind of came back around in the rotation and so the first shakespeare that i tackled in full was playing ophelia and hamlet when i was in my junior year in high school
2: full circle
3: yep so full, honestly the last
2: role you played and the yeah, first role the most
3: played. recent the most recent role i played and the like first full-on role i played um so i mean that was just uh, beyond a gift to get to like delve into Hamlet, like earnestly as a high schooler. Um, and when we did it, our production um, uh, with Kemps, uh, I used the same embroidery prop that I still had from my high school production. So a little, little <laughs> Easter egg, right? I know I've been Keep working doing it on and this you're gonna single <laughs> circle of embroidery for literally over a decade <laughs> because I only <laughs> stitch it when I'm playing Ophelia. <laughs>
2: So, <laughs> well you should, you better hurry up and find another production i know right i gotta keep
1: auditioning. in, in another go like out. 10 years go you're out out gonna start to
2: age out of it um
3: but yeah no i mean ophelia is like a role that's like extremely dear to my heart and always has been i have the pre-raphaelite arthur hughes painting of ophelia hanging in my room and i have since freshman year of college so like she's She's a part of who I am as an artist in a lot of regards. And um, so like, it was always my professional dream to get to revisit her after having been trained, after like having gone to conservatory and getting real training and all that. Um, Cause obviously like I was super blessed in my high school education theater wise, but um, you know, I was still in high school. So, <laughs> obviously, it's good to get to a point where you're like, mm, I'm no longer in high school and I know more. Like, maybe it'll be, it'll be more, like, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll get a little more out of it this time around. Um, so, um, so the, that was like a very, very cool uh first piece of Shakespeare to do. Hilariously, Mike Lake, that was when he was like easing his way out of the football scene and into the art scene a little bit. And so he he did he wasn't acting yet. He his his acting debut was the show we did after Hamlet. We did Hamlet in like I think like October or November and then in like late November, early December, we did a production of Lynn Nottage's Crumbs from the Table of Joy. And that was the first show that Mike was cast in. Um, at Schenectady. It was, I think it was like one of the first shows he auditioned for at Schenectady because like I said, before then he had been involved in sports. Um, but yeah, so like Mike and I literally go back to like when he started performing like in theater. So that's been wicked cool to like be his like peer throughout those years. Cause even though like we've come and got, so anyway, he, he painted our. He was he was involved because he was gearing up to to perform in Crumbs. So he was like around the black box, around the scene shop, you know, chilling. And so I guess they recruit. I think they recruited him to do set design for Hamlet because he painted this extraordinarily interesting like floor for us. It was absolutely beautiful. He's a phenomenal visual mm. artist as well as performer please visit his instagram um and uh check out that logo work he did for us oh yeah exactly he's (laughs) he's got the logo he's 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 on it um so mike um it was we set that production of hamlet um in the 1930s in america so and it was specifically in the 1930s south um, so what thematically we were drawing on a lot that, my, that Ziskin would reference as a director was that kind of decaying, um, toxic seepage of, like, old-world ideals and, like, plantation living in the South. Like, just a lot of stuff that, um, a lot of toxic notions in the South from like around the turn of the century that were trying to, you know, be moved away from throughout the 30s and then also like the depression. um, Just the idea of really being unable to work your way out of a tragic situation for a lot of different reasons, be it like, you know, a diminishing the glory of a diminishing empire, um, economic failure, yada yada yada. So like there were all these really interesting thematic facets that tied in. Um, so like it had this really interesting, like almost old Hollywood feel to it as well. It was it wasn't a literal. Ter- it wasn't a literal. Um, interpretation of that era. it was that they definitely like did some more um, devising and took a little bit more license with like how exactly it was presented. Um, but like the the clothing styles were informed by that era um, and just like the the overall aesthetic of the show was like drawn from that like lots of like really mournful blues from that time for like musically that was like sonically kind of what was going on. Um, so it was a really really well thought out um, production um and it was just it really really hit the nail on the head and for me it was the first time that i was engaging an audience with shakespeare in a way that they actually seemed to like get it um which was a really powerful thing because in the rehearsal room, we'd had all of this conversation about what all of this stuff means and why it's important and why these characters are saying these things and making the choices that they do. But I think, especially as a young actor, you really worry a lot about, oh God, is this actually gonna come across to the audience? And I think you're a lot more concerned with like how the show goes. Like, now I know, honestly, it's like, I'm at the point where performing is, is as quote-unquote routine to me as it is. And it's like, if I'm having a crappy show, I'm just like, I'm a, I am have a lot more ease just being like, ugh, this performance is so weird. Like, hopefully tomorrow's is better. There mm. have been some impor- performances in my professional career where it's like, I've been given it my all, and there's just something not penetrating, and that's mm. like... You can really only do what you can do, and I'm so I'm a lot. Yeah, there's more, nothing. Yeah, ex- like I'm a lot.
2: There's nothing worse than trying to do um, a tragedy or a comedy and having one night where the uh, half of the audience just does not understand a word. Oh, you're because
3: it's tragedy and comedy have just such an enormously high stakes. Yeah.
2: But what you cannot do, listeners, if there's any young listeners, what you cannot do is try to then make the show about you trying to make them understand exactly
3: just keep doing what you're doing (laughs) you
2: have to just you you have to just understand that they are not going to get it and move on because
3: and you just have to keep doing it just like in doing that
2: they actually might get it if you like leave it alone and just keep doing what you're doing by the end they might be like oh yeah that was that i get it now
3: yeah exactly like what mm-hmm. the audience is experiencing is like maybe 30% of where my brain is <laughs> when I'm performing on stage at this point it's like they're there because they make noise at me but like that's like kind of <laughs> where and like obviously in terms of our Shakespeare like we interact with them yeah. in our Shakespeare shows so like they're also there for me to use as a fun prop
1: yeah they are useful need, props but like oh exactly, I'm sorry did you
2: think you were just gonna come and sit that close and I was not gonna sit in your lap <laughs> I don't and think so
3: so, gonna talk to you the like, wilkins players so
2: there's no yeah, fourth wall no,
3: here I, there's no fourth wall <laughs> there's no fourth wall so for me like hamlet that production of hamlet was really the time when i just felt that click between the audience and us as performers and i felt them zone in and and get it past this language that for many of them was still a struggle to grasp but like regardless of whatever whatever those barriers may be they were still like accessing the emotional heart of the show and like the truths that we were telling um and so that was really informative to me when it came to like how and why shakespeare can be moving and deeply important even hundreds of years after it was first written um and so i think like and then the following year was my senior year, um, and we actually did As You Like It. I keep redoing the same, like, five shows over and over. I feel like I just, like, refuse to branch out. That's all I do. <laughs> I just do, like, As You Like It, The Tempest, Much Ado, Midsummer, um, and Hamlet. And then I, like, throw in A Thelon kill- Twelfth Night occasionally. Like, <laughs> so, like... It's not a bad... Um, it's not
2: a bad... Um... Thing to have on your resume. Oh,
3: and I did measure for shows. measure that one time and I would totally do it again. But like
2: I would yeah, do we so would do Okay, we as Will Camps would do any of those shows again because they're all Yeah, amazing. that's
3: very true. Like we're like not we, we're <laughs> yeah. like season submission time is hilarious because it's like Because we have so many shows because we, <laughs> we, we come up with so, so many shows. shows? We're like, mm, I've got like seven suggestions. So we have like a list of like 19 and we're like voting down like stuff that's like okay, well once we put it on the list, now it's going to get like zero votes but like really we brought that much to the table to begin with we like, like awesome. we,
2: and like sometimes it'll take like two meetings to vote something down because we'll vote it down from like 19 to be like well here's the top 10 And then the next one will be like, here's the top three. No, we need to pick one. Pick one. We
3: need to choose the show. But we're just like really, really. We're just so interested
2: in it. It's just (laughs) so interesting.
3: Exactly. Exactly. But yeah, so I mean, like going from the tragedy and really poignant storytelling in Hamlet to equally poignant but hilarious storytelling in As You Like It um and you know again experiencing that same like common ground with the audience experiencing the audience um laugh with us and celebrate with us and experience that like palpable joy with us oh it's so cool it's so cool guys i love theater
2: (laughs) shady you have a do you have a a funny quip or are you going to oh, try and top Lord. my experience, or are you? Do you I have anything as funny? Top
3: that particular like <laughs> bad situation. I mean, I have like fun fact about the Hamlet production. I, an, an actor's nightmare that I had during my first Hamlet production was, um, and I literally told them about this when we did it with Kemps, because I was like, this cannot happen again. So the way we did, the way we buried Ophelia, God, burying Ophelia is such a, always such a fun trick on stage, oh God. Fun thing, um, this
2: fun thing to talk about, so, burying
3: yeah. someone on so stage. So burying Ophelia, um, we had, like, risers set up, um, so we had, like, um you know, levels on the stage. We had back risers, which were like at one level and then the front sta- front of floor of the stage, which was flat. But one of the back risers like was missing. So there was like a mm-hmm. a concealed, like essentially like drop. It was like, there were, there were seven out of eight of the risers. And so there was like a little rectangular hole. And then the risers were covered up in the front. And so they were masked. So all I had to do was be lowered into the hole and then roll off whatever I was on under the risers and you couldn't see me and it was fine. So technically speaking, it was great, except the what they carried me in on was just like this wood plank. Um, and my director wanted like, I mean, it was like a wood plank with like handles. So it was the same like idea as the stretcher that we had me on in, in this ha- production of Hamlet, but, but it was like flat and wide. So like I could lie on it. It was also a little heavy. Um, and so then they had like a white sheet just like laying over the top of me and it was like really long and I was I was visible from my head up, because that's I guess oh the way God. my director wanted it. Cause oh my and God. so I had to like
2: open cast
3: Yeah, it, I had to like be it. exposed for like the entirety of my funeral scene, like lying dead on stage, like trying really hard not to visibly breathe, and then they would like <laughs> put me in the grave and all would all would be fine. But so I used to have literal nightmares about getting put in the grave and that as they lowered it the fabric that was covering me would get stuck under the stretcher yeah because immediately after that happens in our production hamlet and leartyes did directly jump into my grave to fight so i had to roll off and get out of their way otherwise they would jump on my body so <laughs> so i used Ooh. to have like frequent night terrors about being trapped under this shroud um. So that's why I like Sandy was like, "How do we want to do your your stretcher?" And I was like, "Oh, I have specifications. Like, <laughs> like I've, <laughs> I've been to this rodeo before." And,
2: <laughs> and then we still had issues trying to figure out how oh, to stretcher. Okay. <laughs> there will never
3: not be issues trying to figure out how to bury <laughs> a body on stage.
2: That's on like, stage, mm-hmm. in front of an audience, in front of an audience. It literally in the we should point out to listeners that in the script it literally says that she is buried. It calls yep. for a
3: grave like on stage, is, like physically in front of the audience. A grave, on not stage. behind a curtain,
2: not behind anything. It literally says she is entombed. Like everyone's everyone's standing stage.
3: around while she gets put in a grave. So yeah, it's like
2: there's no curtain magic. There's no. It literally is. Hole in the ground. Yep. Yep. Put so, her in a hole in the ground. There's
3: always some some finangling to do there, but yeah, I mean honestly, the the flexible stretcher, the fabric stretcher, was so much better because it was like easier for me to like hold my body still in it and like not worry about having to like mask my breath. And my, my face was covered, which was... I nice. had
2: nightmares for... I will tell you, though, you having told us that story, Shay, I had nightmares for you, because... <laughs> just oh, to, God. to button this before we end this mm. recording. Um, yes. My actor's nightmare was because I was playing Osric in Kemp's production of Hamlet. I was in the last scene... And I leave and re-enter. And Jocelyn, who hopefully will be on our podcast if she's listening. Yes.
3: um,
2: (laughs) Good, good, good. um, Played an amazing Hamlet. So when I cried in that show, I was really crying because she's such an amazing actress. Um, But she was also carried out of the scene in a form of a stretcher. Yep. And Jocelyn is Uh also a very small, petite person she does not weigh a lot but i will tell you my actor's nightmare was rob <laughs> and the other pallbearers picking her up and her going through that fabric and actually dying on stage oh <laughs> because, god because because they passed so close to my left shoulder that they like were almost brushing it where I was standing and I was like, if I right, move yeah. too fast, I'm going to freak somebody out and they're going to
0: kill Charleston.
2: drop the stretcher and she's going to smash her face into the ground and I'm going to be responsible for killing this woman. <laughs> oh, Lord. I, was about, I was, honestly, was not worried about, I was honestly, was not worried about Shay at all because I knew because of her previous terror that she was going to make sure it didn't happen again. But I was more worried about
3: Jocelyn
0: at the end of the show than I was about Shay rolling under a...
3: (laughs) Well, what was funny... Oh, absolutely. Well, what was funny is, I mean, Jocelyn was already also exhausted after having done a sword fight. So she wasn't exactly, like, fresh to be like holding her body straight
2: and said like i don't know 70 pages worth of dialogue too i mean like like, maybe something like that
3: well what i enjoyed is that i wound up just for blocking reasons for like blocking logistical reasons i inevitably always wound up organizing I would organize my own funeral um, because I would like I would scope out like before the show like where would be the most sensible place for my stretcher to come in in terms of like where it could be set up beforehand and like left discreetly and yada 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 Mm -hmm. and then I'd be like okay and I would round up all of the people who were in my funeral procession I would be like okay here's what we're gonna do here's where we're gonna be like and so I would always go back there, like during the gravedigger scene, I would sneak my way back to where my stretcher was and I would like wrap myself in a sheet. Like I would get everything all set up. So it was very, there was, I, I felt very empowered hmm. in the, my ability to take care of my own death planning.
0: Well, you know, you always got to plan for was, end of life.
3: Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's, it's what you want to do. It's the best of the best, best of the situation.
2: With that.
0: With all that being said, um, I do think that it's time to plan for the end of life of this episode.
3: (laughs) I agree. It's time for this episode to die.
2: Please (laughs) check out all of our Instagrams and Twitters and as well as the companies, because during this time we are all posting things and we're all very creative Mm -hmm. people. So just...
3: Oh, am I supposed to be marketing my own social media? I like never. No, you don't to have it. to. I'm, I'm just, ecstatic. no,
2: I'm, I'm just saying this for the listeners. Like, check out Mike Lake's, in, okay. you know, like you said earlier, check out Mike's Lake Instagram. Oh, yeah, for sure. check check out, out <laughs> our Check out the company M- Instagram. Lake check graphics. out our individual Instagrams. We're all pretty much mostly active, and we do a lot of really cool creative things during these lockdown situations. So. Indeed. We're
3: doing
0: what we can. And tune in next week for all new conversation and content. You can also visit our website, Wilkemsplayers.com. Shoot us an email at weeklybarncast at gmail.com. Or follow us on those Facebook and Instagram. That would be wilkemplayers. Players. We'll be back soon for tonight. Farewell and forever farewell listeners. If we do meet again, why we shall smile. If not, why this parting was well made.